Welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sales Podcast. Today, um, like a lot of these shows, I have friends, but this is somebody who's really near and dear to my heart. She is amazingly talented and smart and funny and witty, and uh, she will cut your balls off all at the same time. None other than the incomparable Liz Smith. How are you? I'm great, especially after that introduction. (laughs) I am just so proud of you. Um, And this book, Uh, we always start my show the same way, though, um, which is by having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. And you've advised campaigns and candidates at every level of government. Talk about the moment when you realize that the work that you do now would be your calling. And what keeps you in politics when you obviously could be doing with your skill set a million other things? Um, Well, I mean, it would take like two hours to go through the arc of my career. Um, but just briefly, I started, um, I started, I took a term off from college, um, in 2004 and I was an intern on John Edwards presidential campaign. And it was then that I knew that I was a goner for it. Um, I traveled from, I was in New Hampshire, South Carolina, Wisconsin, Ohio for him, traveled all over um, as an unpaid intern. Then I went, I took another term off and I was a field organizer for Tom Daschle. And then from there, it was, it was off to the races. I did Senate race for Claire McCaskill. I did a bunch of gubernatorial races in Kentucky, Virginia, New Jersey. I did the Obama reelect in 2012. Um I did uh, some New York races, including um, um, Mayor de Blasio in 2013 and then Martin O'Malley's 2016 campaign and then Pete's Pete Buttigieg's 2020 campaign. So but yeah, the first campaign I did, I knew I I wasn't going to be able to do anything else. I mean, how do you escape from politics? I mean, I think a lot of my listeners on this show are junkies. Um, because they're listening to me talk more about politics and everything else every single day. But how do you escape from it? What's your non-political thing that lets you unplug? Because I feel like we all need to have that or at least avoid politics from the burnout or the grind that exists. Um, Well, you know, my book is called Any Given Tuesday. And that's in part because I am a huge, huge football fan. So I'm a fan of the Bengals, but I would say... Football is my biggest way to unplug and the, you know, fall, early winter is my favorite season because of that. Cause then, you know, a few days a week, the last thing I care about is politics and all I want to talk about is football. <laughs> That's fair enough. I appreciate that. And congratulations. Cause after 20, 30 years, you finally have something to cheer about as a Bengals fan. I know. I know. Well, thank you. And let's just hope we keep it going. I feel like it's, they, they like, you know, set expectations too high and next year is going to be a really big disappointment, but I have, I have faith in them. I believe that's the belief of any given Sunday, right? Yes. Yes. All right. Before we get to your book, I want to pick your brain real quick on the current state of democratic politics. And I'll start with Dobbs and the post-road landscape for Democrats. What do you, why do you think it's so hard for some Democrats, including the white house to call a thing, a thing here and women will die. Uh, 10 year olds like the one we had in Indiana are going to be forced to have babies. Why don't we see more Democrats leaning into the messaging on this? Um, Well, so what I have. So I think there are a few reasons. Um, One. There is a reality that a lot of Democrats are 
like most Americans, which is that they have mixed feelings on the issue of abortion. Right. I think that there are 10 people, 10 percent of people are 100 percent pro-life. 10 percent of people are 100 percent, you know, gung-ho on the far left on the abortion debate, but most people fall somewhere in between and have pretty nuanced nuanced views on the issue. And I think that could be some of what we're seeing in the public debate. The second thing is, I don't know if you've seen this, Bakari, but I've you know seen focus groups and polls and the number, the number one message that works with voters that voters respond to is just that Paul, that this is politicians making women's healthcare decisions. The more hair on fire things aren't as impactful with voters. Um, but th- in terms of other messages that we see, it's like, you know, it, that's the most important one. Um, then it's, uh, yes, forcing women who are victims of rape, incest, or whose lives are at stake to give birth. Uh, is second. And then the third is, you know, criminalizing women and doctors for abortions. So I think everyone's got to talk about it their own way and different messages work with different audiences. But as long as people are going out there and making the main point that Republicans do want to um, take these decisions out of the hands of women and out of the hands of doctors and, you know, put them in the hands of you know, these idiot state legislators in some of these states, that's a that's a powerful enough message. I mean, we see uh, President Biden with these historically low approval ratings in some polls. And we have a new poll actually coming out today. In some polls, they're lower than Trump even was. Yeah. Um, and as much as I want to blame um, Joe Manchin and to a, a lesser degree, Kirsten Cinema, they are the bane of my existence. A lot, of it, <laughs> a lot of it, I think, has to do with the messaging and telling folk what you have done and what what you accomplished. Uh, I think our best messengers are, are probably uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg, who you know very well. Yes. Uh, Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris. But how can the administration right the ship on its messaging and how can Democrats stop the bleeding messaging wise? Um, well, so I think it will. I think that we have more messengers across the country than we use. And you know this from being an elected official is that sometimes having people in Washington as the messengers isn't the best look for the administration. And when I worked for Barack Obama in 2012, we used mayors, governors from all across the country to, um, you know, to carry the Obama campaign's message. Frankly, they had a lot more credibility than some of the folks in D.C. because they didn't have that sort of like D.C. stink on them. They were seen as more credible in their own communities. I do agree. Kamala Harris is, is an amazing messenger, especially on the row message, because um, women just feel the issue more viscerally. It's a more viscerally visceral issue for them. Pete is a great TV communicator. And I, I sort of disagree with you. I think Biden is a good communicator, but you've got to get him in sort of the right place. Yeah. If you just put him behind a podium, the real Biden doesn't come through. You need sort of old Scranton Joe, Uncle Joe out there interacting with people. Um, and um, he, he if, if they get him in more intimate settings and get him out on the road more and like less in the Rose Garden, I think it will be better for them. My understanding is that that's what they're trying to do, um, because people are feeling a lot of pain right now. They're feeling pain from inflation. They're feeling pain from gas prices. 
feeling pain from just like the never ending, you know, COVID pandemic. And there's no one who sort of understands pain and can speak to it better than Joe Biden. But yes, we got to go out there. We got to more effectively communicate. Um, and it's something I talk about in my book, it, which is that, you know, the cardinal rule of the media is that if you don't feed the media beast, the beast is going to feed on you. Uh-huh. Um, and to, you can't let um, like world circumstances or the Republican Party sort of de- define you. You've got to go out and define the choice. And one other one other thing I would add is that um, my understanding is that they're going to go out and start making the choice more. But, man, we need to define the hell out of the Republicans because they are getting away with murder right now. Literally, literally, literally. literally. And, um, you know, they're doing nothing to ease economic uh, you know, people's economic pain. Not, no, they've offered no solutions. The only thing we've seen has come from, you know, Rick Scott, which would raise taxes on working people, Sunset, Medicare and Social Security. But then the, the only other messages we're hearing out of them are to uh, ban abortion in all instances or and to, um, you, you know, a lot of these gubernatorial candidates uh, won't are election deniers and are saying that are implying that they won't accept the 2024 elections if a Democrat's elected in their states. And those are the things that we should be talking about more in addition to the positives. Why aren't you in the White House, Liz? Because <laughs> I'm here talking to you, Bakari. <laughs> That's a great, great deflection. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Let's get to your book, Any Given Tuesday. First, I love the title. Second, why a memoir and why now? Um, well, memoirs sort of, I don't know. I, memoirs sort of like one of those weird book categories that I wouldn't have chosen. I see it more just as a look behind the scenes of politics. Um, And why now is because politics has never been more important than it is right now. It has never touched more people's lives than it has right now. We saw that with the COVID pandemic. We certainly see that now with um, the Dobbs decision where, you know, women are having to make horrifying life and death choices already within um, weeks of the decision. So it's really important um, for us to, for people like me to pull back the curtain, demystify politics, show people how decisions get made, you know, effective ways to communicate, um, things I learned, things I screwed up. Um, but overall the goal is just to, um, you know, maybe an 18 year old girl will pick up the book and say, okay, wow, this really explains politics to me. Um, because as you know, Bakari, like uh, when you got into politics and when you go around talking about politics, tell me if I'm wrong. Don't a lot of people ask you, well, how did you get into that? Like, wow, that must be crazy. 
That's the number one question all the time. Right. And, and I get that question all the time and it shouldn't be that mystifying to people because it affects everyone's life. Um, but still, you know, I've been in this business for 17 years. I still get the same question every day. And one of my goals with this book is to help answer the question, what it's like behind the scenes, how you get in, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And I want to show people sort of the good, the bad, the ugly behind it, but it's incumbent upon people like you and me to um, make this business more accessible to people so that more people get involved. What do you want readers to take from your book, specifically for Democrats in the wilderness right now, trying to figure out how to talk to voters who may be on the fence? What's the lesson from any given Tuesday? Um, well, the politics isn't just a game. It really matters. Um, it really impacts uh, people's lives. And, you know, we're, we're seeing that play out in, in real time right now. But I, I do think my book reinforces that message. Um, but it also gets to uh, how we communicate with different voters. You know, you're from South Carolina. I'm from New York. A New York Democrat is yeah. very different from a South Carolina Democrat. Um, and uh, sometimes I, the Democratic Party it has trouble sort of talking outside of like the very insider bubble. We have trouble talking to um, uh, to rural communities. We have trouble talking to we have trouble talking to the black community. We have trouble talking to the Hispanic community. And we are now, we are hemorrhaging Hispanic voters because we call them something they don't even call themselves like <laughs> Latinx or something. And 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 just. I, on the issue of Hispanic voters, I mean, we have completely miscalculated how to talk to them, what issues they care about. We've viewed them as a monolithic voting bloc that only cares about immigration. And um, the Democratic Party is a lot better when it is a, you know, not to sound cliched, but when it is a 50 state party. And when we realize that there is no one way to be a Democrat and that you don't have to check off every purity box on the list to qualify. And um, sometimes in today's modern Democratic Party, we do see this push, push for purity, which would mean that we wouldn't be able to elect Democrats in most red states and in, in a lot of states that aren't, you know, deep, deeply blue. And so we need to be, I think, meet voters where they are in terms of their values and culturally and talk to them where they are, you know, on, on their media outlets, you know, whether it's local or national and not turn up our noses at doing Fox news or sports radio or whatever it is. That's a lesson learned. I think the name of my next book is like fuck Tucker Carlson or something like that. So uh, <laughs> I, well, you've done Fox news, haven't you? I've never been on Fox. Really? You'd never. be great on Fox. I think I would be. Thank you. you don't, but, okay, but don't a lot of people tell me this. Don't people in your community, like in, you live in where you, you live, you spend your time in South Carolina, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, but don't people in your community listen, watch Fox, talk about Fox? Oh, yeah. All the time. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. I mean, you're right. One of the things about your book that, the reason I think your book's going to do really well and make the New York Times bestsellers list and do all these other things is you uh, you abided by the number one rule of being an author, which is that you have to tell the truth. Right. And right. you keep it real as fuck in your book. Yeah. And I expect nothing less. Were you concerned at all about talking candidly about people 
who you've had such a close relationship with in the past? And are you concerned about any blowback? I haven't seen the Cuomo endorsement of your book yet. Is that coming? I haven't seen any Cuomo statements about it. I, the, you know, I, the only blowback. It's, uh, that's awkwardly silent, I will tell you. <laughs> well, maybe intelligently silent. Oh, um, oh. The, the only blowback I've gotten is, I mean, God, what an idiot. Bill de Blasio is the only person who's put out a statement. And I mean, you put out a book like the number one rule is don't get in a fight with someone promoting a book. Like all we want is PR. Like there is no such thing as bad PR for a book. And this is something Donald Trump never understood. I mean, that guy just had no self-control. Remember when like whatever piss ant in his administration would put out a book, um, criticizing him, he could not help but tweet yeah. about it and it would shoot to number one, number one. Yep. Number one. So unfortunately, I didn't work for Donald Trump. Well, fortunately, I didn't. But unfortunately for my book, I didn't work for him. So I can't um, benefit from that. But going back to your initial question, um, I, I I talked to people who'd written successful books before and they said, look, you, you got one chance to write your first book and you want to get it right. And you got to be honest. You can't pull punches. Uh, you've got to be willing to light other people on fire, but not gratuitously. And you've also got to be able to light yourself on fire. Amen. And so I feel like if I'm going to be honest with about other people, that it, it was important to be honest about myself, things I did well, and also some of my shortcomings. You have shortcomings? Um, very few. There, there was two or three pages in the book. Uh, <laughs> oh, and by the way, Bill de Blasio is polling at 3%. I know, 3%, 100% name ID. He's six in a congressional race after being mayor of 9 million people. So That's insane. Yeah. In, insane. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll have another conversation about why the hell do you want to run for to be number 435 after being mayor of New York? It's weird to me. Well, but, right. But I mean, I think it speaks to, you know, how in what low regard everyone holds him that if he feels like that's the sort of a, the only job he, he can get right now. But he it doesn't look like he's going to get it. I mean, he was at six percent with 100 percent name ID a few weeks ago. Now he's at three percent with 100 percent name ID. I've literally never heard of anything like that. I've never. No, I've never. Except maybe maybe. uh What's his name? Anthony Weiner. That's the only thing that comes close. No, Weiner. Weiner got like definitely double digits or close to that, but nothing yeah. like three percent. Yeah. Like, you talk a bit in a book about uh, where's the Democratic bench, and one of the things I like about you is you are unafraid to highlight some younger electeds because I either you know, watching politics the way we do, either everybody's eighty years old or they're yeah. 50, but they've been in DC their entire life. So they're either afraid of their own shadow or afraid of Joe Manchin. What, <laughs> what young electics are you keeping your eye on? Or, or they just forget how to talk like normal people. It's oh my God. It, the worst thing. when you see people go to DC, what's crazy to me is when you see even these really special young people go to DC, it's like they all get 
reprogrammed and um, they all start tweeting the same. They all start saying the same stuff on TV. They start using this confusing language and everything is about like talking about reconciliation bills and this and that. And no one, no one knows what the hell they're talking about. Um, But in terms of the bench, young elected, I like, you know, um, well, obviously Mayor Pete, but he's, I think, sort of, uh, you know, off the bench now, but, um, I've been doing some work with Mallory McMorrow in in Michigan and she is awesome. And she has been, um, she's a really strong voice there. She stood up against like, um, some of the really ugly culture war attacks and she's working hard to flip the Michigan Senate. Um, Aftab Pirabal, the new mayor of Cincinnati, is great. Um, I another Aftab uh, when he ran for Congress. Yeah. I well, I mean, he was uh, he was the only race I lost on my little campaign. It was uh, it was such a close race. Although th- I have to say, the fact that it was such a close race in a tough district speaks a lot to his political skills. But I mean, now he's mayor of Cincinnati, which I think is a much better job, um, and he's. You know, he's just a total rock star there and doing amazing stuff in the city. Um, I like Colin Allred down in Texas um, uh, and Quentin Lucas, the mayor of Kansas City. He's also dope and he's doing interesting stuff in Kansas City. So, you know, these are all people outside D.C., not household names. I like Richie Torres in the Bronx as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These and they're all under the age of 40. So um, but, you know, if you watch cable news, if you watch just the Sunday shows, if you just read you know, the big papers, you would never hear these people's names. And if I were the White House, if I were the DNC, I would be knocking on these people's doors asking, hey, could you go out and help us carry some of these messages? Because um a lot of these Congress people have been there forever and ever. You know who I'm talking about, who they put out on TV are just not the most convincing messengers. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. You're also high on DeSantis. Wow. <laughs> and who do you think would be the best Democratic matchup for him? Well, I, I'm high on DeSantis in that I think that he could have appeal among the Republican base. I'm not high on him. I mean, I personally. know somebody would believe that. Yes. Like, so to qualify to add context, he yes. probably has one of the better opportunities to went over uh, the lunatics and the people who found themselves to be more moderate in the Republican Party. Well, right. Well, because he just sort of continued. He's in the sort of Trump Christie mold and um, he really taps into um, taps into the anger of the Republican base, especially the anger toward, you know, the health experts who are trying to impose um, you know, all the COVID restrictions, anger toward education bureaucrats. And you see that in the public polling. Um, he's winning those fights down in Florida. But I don't know. As you know, with with these presidential races, we often see these guys get a lot of hype early, but then someone else will come out of the woodwork. Scott Walker. Um, 
Uh, that's what I think Ron DeSantis. Right. Is exactly. <laughs> right. And, and it's also like, remember like Christie in 2012. I mean, Christie is such an idiot for not getting into 2012, but um, by the time it was 2016, he was damaged goods. Um, but you know, there are other governors out there who are clearly positioning themselves like Kevin Stitt, who's basically pursuing a, he's the governor of Oklahoma pursuing like a total ban on abortion, Christy Nome in South Dakota, um, Ted Cruz again. And what about, uh, uh, our friend who beat Terry McAuliffe in Virginia? Oh, Glenn Youngkin. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and someone like him could be sort of interesting because he like flirts a little bit with Trumpism. He doesn't, he's not like Larry Hogan or Liz Cheney where he really stiff arms it. Um, But he seems like a more genteel, you know, Trump and is like, can um, I think pull the wool over people's eyes a little bit better. Um, One more question for you before I ask the most important question. Oh God. (laughs) You were out there a lot, uh, like a lot of us during the 2020 Democratic primary. And there is some chatter, although I'm somebody who says that Joe Biden is going to run again in 2024. There's some chatter who say that or belief that he won't. If you had to handicap a 2024 Democratic primary with a lot of the players from 2020, like the VP, like your former boss, like Gavin Newsom, like J.B. Pritzker, who do you think has an edge in the 2024 Democratic primary if Joe Biden does not run? And by the way, just so you know, there's a conspiracy theory out there that uh, Mayor Pete is going to sit this out and wait as long as possible. He's the only person with the ad water, ad water campaign so he can jump in late if necessary. But his goal is to be the governor of Michigan. After I mean, Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, that is OK. Well, let me, OK, let me just address that. That is complete BS. Like only <laughs> in D.C., would someone moving their their new family to be closer to in-laws be considered like a, you know, Machiavellian political move. Um, so, no, the, the Michigan thing is completely overblown. And I don't know. I, I'm not going to put my my thumb on the scale there. I do hope. Look, I hope that Biden runs for reelection. I think he will run for reelection if he doesn't run for re-election, then I hope there's a, a big primary and um, like we had in 2020, because I think it was to our benefit in 2020 to have, um, you know, sometimes it, it was like a pain, a pain in the ass to see like 20 people on a stage. But it was to our benefit to um, have a field to sort of call out who would be the strongest candidate. And there's no even though I was a mayor Pete person, there was no doubt in my mind that Biden was. We did end up with the strongest candidate. There. Oh, yeah. We had we had the only candidate in that field who could beat Donald Trump. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, where can people buy your book? When is it out? Where, when, how? All those good things. Okay, well, my book, um, Any Given Tuesday, is out on Tuesday, August 19th. Um, You can buy it from all the big booksellers, uh, Amazon, Barnes Noble, whatever it is, but also your local booksellers as well. If you just Google HarperCollins and Any Given Tuesday, um, it will pull up a a site for you where it will give you a a variety of options and you can get, um, you know, Kindle, an audiobook, sadly not read by me, um, and a, 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 
I, you know, they, they wanted me to have someone else record. So it seemed like I'd, I'd had a stressful year, Bakari. And I, I just, I, I, I get claustrophobic. The thought of sitting in a booth forever just seemed, it, it was too stressful for me, but those are the places you can order it all in all those formats. And, um, it is a book that yes, I am a Democrat, but it is a book for Democrats, for Republicans, for apolitical people. And I think it's really fun and really different from any sort of political book that's been written before. I have never read a book like Any Given Tuesday. And I, when I was reading it the other night, I think I sent you a text. Let me read what my text said to you because I said, uh, you have a bestseller. That's what I told you after I got it. So Thank you. Liz Smith, we love you. I love you. I can't wait for you to join the Bakari Sellers campaign to be president of, of my household. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast, sweetheart. Let me know what I can do for you. Okay, will do.